Receive him not into your house, neither bid him Godspeed. For he that biddeth him Godspeed is partaker of his evil deeds. Having many things to write unto you, I would not write with paper and ink, but I trust to come unto you and speak face to face, that our joy may be full. The children of thy elect sister greet thee. Amen. So I have a word of prayer again before we look at this too closely. Lord, we do thank you for the beautiful morning that you gave to us. We're seeing flowers coming out. We're seeing things come back to life. You are the author of life, and you are the creator. And it's a beautiful creation you've made. We rejoice in it. We ask that you guide us through your word. Show us what you'd have for us and help us to change our lives to be more attuned to you even as we see dark days coming. It's in your name I pray. Amen. So today, as we look at this passage, where we see John, he's wrapping up his letter, and he gives a couple of practical tips to these folks that they can take to limit the influence of the false teachers. Remember, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, it's, it's all John dealing with false teachers. Uh, that have come in. They're, they've been spreading heresies and it's been infecting the church. And John's given a few tips on how to handle these things and how to limit their influence. Simply don't provide any hospitality to these folks. Uh, anybody who's preaching a different gospel than what you've received from the apostles. Now, in order to understand this passage properly, we have to take a little bit of a look into Middle Eastern hospitality in those days. Because the way, even today, the way Middle Easterners look at hospitality is different than how we 21st century Americans look at things. Uh, and one aspect is it involved a host making sure that everyone in the community treats their guest with the proper degree of respect, what they deserve as, as a guest. So with that for an introduction, let's get back to our study. Let's read verse 10 again. He says, If there come any unto you, and bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house, neither bid him Godspeed. If any come unto you, and bring not this doctrine. Well, what doctrine is he speaking of? What doctrine is he speaking of? Well, we've got to back up to the verse that we closed with last week. So let's do, let's do that right now. Whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son. We were talking about the doctrine of Christ. That's the doctrine that John has described as the doctrine that they've heard from the beginning. The gospel. So he says that if anybody comes in here into your church and doesn't bring that teaching but instead bring something at odds with it that doesn't really jive with what you've already heard, then receive him not into your house, neither bid him Godspeed. Now there's a couple of ways we can look at this, this phrase, receive him not into your house. First of all, and perhaps the first one that comes to our mind most obviously, is don't receive him into your personal home. Right? I don't know if that's the one that comes into your mind. It's the first one that comes into my mind. And that would be uh, seen as pretty important, especially in those days where a traveling Christian 
might be coming along and they might, might stay in your home. Sure, there were inns and such in those days, as there always have been throughout. As long as there have been human beings, there have been inns and places. People always have to travel, right? So they always have to have a place to stay. But inns and taverns and stuff don't always have the best reputation, do they? Especially not in those days. I mean, now I, I'm on the road a lot. I stay at Holiday Inn Express. It doesn't really have a bad reputation, right? In those days, inns may have a less than reputable uh, name. So most respectable people who would be traveling would stay with relatives or friends along the way if they could. And oftentimes, people who were traveling would carry letters of recommendation with them just in case they had to stay with someone they'd never met before. Hey, have you got an extra room? Well, here's my credentials. You know so-and-so. Well, I know so-and-so too, and he'll vouch for my, me that I'm a decent person. That's how people would travel. People still travel that way in the Middle East. Uh, Middle Eastern hospitality is totally different than American. So you now put yourself in the shoes as somebody as a host. You as the host, inviting them in, okay, you got your credentials, all right, I know him, all right, you're probably a good guy. You invite him in, and you're laying your reputation on the line when you endorse them, okay, I agree, you're probably a like-minded person like myself. Now your reputation's on the line, you see, when you invite somebody like that in. But there's another way to look at this. That's, that's looking at it as inviting them into your personal house. Another way to look at it is inviting a traveling Christian to teach at your local assembly, your local church, as it were. And it's really not that far removed. Again, we've got to step away from 21st century American thought. Uh, it's really the same thing, inviting them into your personal house, inviting them into your own church, because Christians at this time hadn't come up with the concept of a church building. There was no such thing as a church building at this time. They were meeting in each other's houses. And there were a number of reasons. I'll get into some of that here in, a, in just a moment. Bear in mind, one of those reasons is very few Christians even owned their own homes in those days as well. Do you understand that? Very, you and I, we each have our own homes that we live in, some in apartments, some is, uh, we pay a rent, we pay a mortgage, we own our house, it's mine, I stay there, that's where I live. That wasn't the case for most early Christians. Remember, most Christians in the first century were slaves. They lived, had lodging in their master's home. Many of these slaves, these slave Christians, weren't free to leave the master's compound to go to church. And as such, the local church would quite often be just a group of Christians who lived and worked together. We all work for this master. We all live on his compound. We're not going anywhere. This is where we're going to meet. So see, sometimes we have to take off our 21st century American glasses to understand what's really being talked about here. All right. So John doesn't simply warn his readers not to welcome false teachers in among themselves, but he also warns them, don't get, bid them Godspeed. That, quite literally, that means don't give them any greeting at all. Because... And, I'll back that up. This word Godspeed here is the Greek word karyon. It's a very bland, 
very generic greeting used in those days. Kind of, how you doing? We don't really mean anything by that when we say that, do we? When I say how you doing to you, I'm not really asking how you're doing. I'm just something we say, right? That's, that's how things were. We see it used several places in the New Testament. Uh, let's look at a couple of them. We've got lots of time. Let's go to Acts 15. Acts 15, verse 23. And they wrote letters by them after this manner. The apostles and elders and brethren send greetings, that's the word, unto the brethren, which are the Gentiles of Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia. Just send greetings. We're saying howdy. How you doing? Uh, Move along to uh, Acts 23. And verse 26. Claudius Lysias, under the most excellent governor Felix, sendeth greeting. Howdy. How you doing? And in James chapter 1, verse 1, that'll be the last one I want to look at here. We're just, just making the case that this is just a, don't even give them the most basic greeting. James 1, 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the twelve tribes that are scattered abroad, greeting. So what John is literally saying, when these folks come in, these people who are bringing a different gospel, don't even give them the time of day. Don't even give them the time of day. So, I can hear you asking a question in your minds. You're saying, well, Brother Dan, how are we supposed to evangelize them? Isn't that what we're here on earth to do? We're supposed to spread the gospel. These guys are not spreading the gospel. How can we give them the gospel if we don't even give them the time of day. Well, this is further evidence that I have that it's not talking about just not inviting them into your house. It's not allowing them to speak in your churches. You see, because obviously it means we shouldn't, it, it, it doesn't mean that we shouldn't evangelize. It means don't allow these false teachers to speak in your churches. Don't invite them in as teachers. So let's bring it to verse 11. For he that biddeth him Godspeed, he that gives him this generic greeting, allows him in, is partaker of his evil deeds, it says. He that biddeth him Godspeed is partaker of his evil deeds. Now, like we said before, since a host would be vouching for the character of the guest before the whole community, if you invite one of these false teachers in, you're basically throwing your arm around, yeah, this, this is an all right guy. Now your reputation's on the line. John doesn't want these folks to associate themselves with these heretics. Don't associate yourselves with them at all. Their evil deeds, I think that should be pretty obvious, that's the false teachings that they're spreading. Don't associate yourselves with that either. Don't have anything to do with it. And we see other warnings like that. I'd like to look at several of them because this is very important. There's a lot of false teaching in this world today. And throughout the New Testament, we're given warnings to avoid it. Let's look at Romans chapter 16, verse 17. These warnings always come across very strong. Romans 16, 17. Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them that cause divisions and offenses, contrary to the doctrine which you have learned, and avoid them. For they are... They that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly. 
and by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. Let's go over to Galatians. Galatians chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. This is one of the clearest passages here. For though we, or an angel from heaven, preach on any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so say I, and now, say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that ye have received, let him be accursed. Pretty strong language there. How about 2 Thessalonians chapter 3? There's a couple of them, a couple of warnings in that little book. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse, verse 6 is the first one. Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly, and not after the tradition which he received of us. Bump down to 14. And if any man obey not our word by this epistle, note that man and have no company with him, that he may be ashamed. And while we're right in the neighborhood, go over to Titus, chapter 3, verse 10. A man that is an heretic, after the first and second admonition, reject. So what what Paul's telling Titus there is, you notice somebody who's a heretic, point it out to him, and if he still doesn't fix his ways, then reject him. That's it. Because anybody can make a mistake. I can make a mistake. You can make a mistake. Any of us can make a mistake. I might be teaching you something wrong right now. Check it out. If I'm teaching something wrong, let me know. And if I don't change my ways, reject me. That's how it goes. Pretty straightforward, isn't it? And then verse 12, we see John start wrapping it up. He's given some closing greetings. He says, Having many things to write unto you, I would not write with paper and ink, but I trust to come unto you and speak face to face that our joy may be full. So now we're seeing John bring his letter to a close. I told you this one's going to be brief here this morning, but I'll look for it in uh, Sunday morning service. I don't expect to be brief on that one. So John's wrapping his letter up, bringing it to a close, and he describes his deep desire to see these folks in person. He really wants to see them in person so that he can bring them greetings from his own home church. Remember, uh, we talked about this, and I'll talk about it again in a minute. He starts off to the elect lady, and then he says, he wraps up the thing, the children of thy elect sister. It's John's writing from his church, giving greetings to another church. That's what he's doing. Uh, Having many things to write unto you, I would not write with paper and ink but I trust to come to you and speak face-to-face, he says. That expression, face-to-face, literally means mouth-to-mouth. This isn't the only time that he's going to use it either. He's going to use it in uh, 3 John as well. But John is the only writer in the New Testament to use that expression, which is very interesting to me because it was a very common expression in first-century writings. Many, many other friendly letters say, I I can't wait to see us mouth-to-mouth, mouth-to-mouth. That's how I want to... We're going to communicate, looking each other in the eye. It was a very common expression. It's interesting that John's the only one that uses it. 
So why does John desire so much to meet these folks face to face? Well, he tells us that our joy may be full. Our joy. Now, that's a common theme with John too, isn't it? In uh, verse 4, we saw John talking about, And I rejoiced greatly when I found that of thy children walking in truth. Uh, when we get to uh, 3 John, verse 4, he says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. The joy that John looks forward to having fulfilled is to see these folks with his own eyes and to see and know that they are walking in the truth. That's the greatest joy John has. And when he sees them face to face, he's going to be able to tell them so much more than he can put into paper right now. And that's going to give John great joy as well. Verse 13, he wraps up. He says, The children of thy elect sister greet thee. Amen. I just mentioned it. I mentioned it a couple of weeks ago that the lady in this letter is the local congregation of churches. And the other lady is the congregation that John's a part of. It's just a nice way to say, My church is greeting your church. This is what we have to say. I'm looking, we're going to send John there briefly to, to talk to you folks face to face. I try to use, I don't know if you've noticed, with the language that I use trying to talk to each other, I refer to as, as brother and sister to remind myself of the family atmosphere we have. We have a family atmosphere, whether it's someone I communicate with through global media outreach in Nigeria, or whether it's you folks right here. We're all a family together. You see, I think we'd get a whole lot further as churches if we'd learn to act as siblings rather than as rivals. Quite often, one of the things down through history, the church has a tendency to operate as rivals, don't we? We ought to learn to act a little bit more as siblings. We're all sons and daughters of God and brothers and sisters through Christ. And we ought to act like it, don't you think? That's kind of how John wraps up here. We ought to act like family. We ought to act with love, decency, and respect. That's been the theme of 1 John, 2 John. We're going to see it again in uh, 3 John as well when we get there. But I'm all out of book now. Uh, so if you don't mind, I'll close us in a word of prayer. and We'll break it off here. Lord, we do thank you for these reminders. The reminders that we are supposed to work together that we're supposed to follow you. And we're supposed to reject anything that taints that simple, simple gospel. There's nothing complicated about it. Help us to share that gospel with the world around us. This world desperately needs you. Empower us. Give us opportunity. Help us to recognize the opportunities we have. It's in your name I ask it. Amen.